0: Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. In Minneapolis, an ad hoc camp of more than 100 mostly Native residents is in constant danger of eviction by city officials. A coalition of Native organizations is fighting with the city to maintain emergency shelters as temperatures plummet. And advocates in Seattle and Anchorage work to connect unsheltered Indigenous residents with the necessities to stay alive. Those are some of the places we'll check in with today as we learn about the challenges of helping unhoused individuals. We're back after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Montana State University will soon help communities and tribes in six states obtain environmental and energy related grants. Montana Public Radio's Aaron Bolton explains.
2: The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is giving MSU $10 million to set up an Environmental Justice Resource Center. This is one of 10 centers nationwide. The Bozeman Center will serve Colorado, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Utah, Wyoming, and 28 tribal nations. These centers help local governments, nonprofits, tribes, and other eligible entities apply for grant programs. The program's main intent is to make it easier to apply for funding from the inflation reduction act and congress's recent infrastructure bill but the center will provide assistance with any grant process it's intended to help communities who might otherwise not have the expertise to navigate complicated grant applications in columbia falls i'm aaron bolton
1: the hbo series true detective night country features a fictional town in alaska while most of the filming was done in iceland some scenes were shot around Nome. knom's ava white reports that producers have been in touch with locals to get insights and feedback for the show
3: marjorie tabone is one of five people on the anupiac advisory council which was the team working with the show she says the producer's goal was to, quote, make the show about a place like Gnome. She says the board reviewed the scripts and shared their concerns with writers about scenes and lines that seemed inaccurate or questionable. One of those changes was featured in the first episode. There is a feed and there were the caribou. In the original script, it was elk. And then we're like, we have no elk in Alaska, let up in the Arctic. She says the council encouraged producers to include Inupiaq words and learn about the meaning behind traditional Alaska Native stories. Tabone says they even helped choose most of the Inupiaq names for characters in the town. The council also encouraged, including trigger warnings for the show, because some episodes regard the missing and murdered indigenous people epidemic. And we advise about leaving traditional parts in and
4: taking other elements of the story out, just to maintain
3: that the integrity um, of the story and kind of keeping it true. Cabone says she was glad to be part of the advisory council and to help ensure the content was as accurate and respectful as possible. She says she hopes it can pave the way for more indigenous people to work in the film industry. I'm Ava White. True Detective
1: Night Country follows the investigation of eight men who operate a research station and vanish without a trace. The show stars Jodie Foster and Kaylee Reese. The series is in its fourth season and premiered January 14th. The Winnebago Tribe of Nebraska has filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Army to repatriate the remains of two children from Carlisle Indian Industrial School in Pennsylvania. The tribe made a request in November 2023 for the return of the remains using the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, or NAGPRA. The Army denied the request in December, saying NAGPRA could not be applied to carry out repatriation. Last week, the tribe initiated the lawsuit, represented by the Native American Rights Fund, the tribe seeking to enforce NAGPRA to repatriate Samuel Gilbert and Edward Hensley, who were taken from their home more than 100 years ago and never returned. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
5: Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of T-shirts, hoodies, and much more. All custom-printed or embroidered are available from nativescreenprinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing, who support this program.
6: Native Voice 1, the Native American Radio Network.
0: This is Native America Calling, your national humanities medal-winning radio show and podcast. Officials in Rapid City, South Dakota, just shut down work to set up an emergency warming tent for unsheltered indigenous residents. The order came just as temperatures fell below zero. The organizations setting up the shelters say they were responding to concerns that many Native unsheltered residents aren't comfortable going to other established options. Meanwhile, the Chief Seattle Club in Washington is forced to close its innovative shelter aimed at helping the city's indigenous residents because the county intends to use the land as a parking lot. The facility opened in 2019. And in Anchorage, Alaska, where more than 4 in 10 homeless people are native, homeless fatalities are at historically high levels. These are among a series of setbacks across the country for unsheltered Native individuals, just as the federal government reports the highest number of homeless people ever recorded. The annual nationwide street and shelter count is this Wednesday. Join today's conversation as we discuss solutions for unsheltered people. The number to call our studio is 1-800-996-2848. We have Sonny Redbear on the line in Rapid City, South Dakota. She is the Associate Director of Organizing with the Indian Collective. She is Cheyenne River Sioux, Minneconju, Honkpapa, and Oglala. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Sonny. Good to have you on the show.
4: Hi. Thanks for having me today.
0: Absolutely. Also with us from Rapid City is Hermas Bedaloon. He is a local organizer with Indan Collective, and he is Oglala Lakota. Hello, Hermes. Good to have you on the show, too. Good morning. Thanks, Calvin. In Minneapolis, uh, excuse me, in Seattle, Washington, we have Derek Belgard. He is the executive director with the Chief Seattle Club, and he is from the Confederated Tribes of Siletz Indians, and he's also Chippewa Cree. Good morning, Derek. Welcome back to NAC.
6: Yeah. Good morning, Sean. i uh, looking forward to this.
0: Absolutely. And we have Samuel Johns in Anchorage, Alaska. He is the founder of Forget Me Not. He's also a hip hop artist. He is Atna and Quitchen Athabaskan. Good morning to you too, Sam, and welcome back. Hey, good morning. Thank you. Well, Sonny, I want to go ahead and start with you and Hermes. And in the collective, partnered with a number of other Native organizations to provide this emergency shelter in Rapid City. And it was just when the winter weather was really hitting hard. The city put a stop to it. They said it was a fire hazard, along with some other issues. What's the current status of your efforts to assist unsheltered Native people in Rapid? Is there an alternative setup?
4: Um, no, we're, we're going to continue to do what uh, what we plan to do, um, and just really kind of um, assert our
0: rights. And, and what is the need uh, about how many homeless Native people are there in Rapid City, and uh, what are these other options that uh, exist if there are any?
4: Yeah. Um, so right now there are four hundred and ninety nine unhoused people in Rapid City um, that are that were um, counted in the, in the PIT count, the point in time count um, in 23. Uh, 376 of those are native. Um, so a, a, a huge majority of our unhoused relatives are native here in Rapid City. There are a few different things going on. So um, there's a lot of city services that are, what do you want to say, like, they're meant to, they're meant to serve the our unhoused relatives. Um, but many times uh, these services are, are failing. Um, they're, they're failing our relatives in, in multiple ways. Uh, right now, uh, some of the things that our community is just really unaware of is, you know, they, they believe that there's a lot of services available and that, you know, um, unsheltered people should be able to go utilize these services. But what, what they don't know is that a lot of these services are, have strings attached or um, are perpetuating harm in in a few different ways so um the the mission it, they have their doors open right now as well a lot of that comes with you know uh the the um the, the strings of like Christianity are tied to it right so you're, you're having to um ha- you know these strings of of having to accept Jesus Christ or listening to sermons in order to be set a meal and whatnot Um, But one of the things that really sticks out to me is the CARE campus. The CARE campus is actually ran by the Sheriff's Department. um, And one of the things our community doesn't really know is that in order to use their safe bed side of CARE campus, um, which is one of the only um, services that helps shelter relatives overnight, um, requires for uh, each person coming in to be intoxicated. Their policy actually requires them to be um, intoxicated to a certain amount. They PBT them when they come in, and so um, having that is, I think um, there's so many people that don't under, that don't know that, and so we have a lot of unsheltered relatives that are sober, um, that are trying to live a sober life, that are trying to get back on their feet, that are holding jobs, that are you know that have families and. Um, then they go to these services that are that are millions of dollars every year through different grants and through the city funding that actually are perpetuating alcoholism and perpetuating harm on our on our relatives in forms of requiring them to be intoxicated to utilize their services. Um, and yeah.
0: Okay, so if you're a Native person, you're unsheltered, and uh, you're not intoxicated, and you, uh, you don't want to embrace the Christian faith, you're not welcome at these homeless shelters. That's what you're telling us, right?
4: Uh, you, you will be turned away. It could be negative 40 chill and, and we've seen it this last, this last week, week and a half. We've seen dozens of people getting turned away because they were sober.
0: Mm. All right. Hermes, I, I want to hear from you now. I and mean, what are you seeing there on the ground in Rapid City and the unsheltered people you talk to? What are they telling you they need?
7: Um, their main thing is they they want to be treated like humans and given uh, the opportunity to you know just survive. It's really a big thing um, here in Rapid City. Everybody just looks down at the native, at the homeless population here and. They're not homeless. Um, they're, you can't be homeless on your homeland. You can be houseless, but mm-hmm. they, they're looking for the opportunity uh, to get into a place to try to live, you know. And a lot of them have degrees. Uh, a lot of them are veterans from the armed forces and the, the government and the city government kind of turn their backs on them and look, frown down and look at them. And whenever whenever they get called out for it, the, the city government gets called out for it, then they start turning to gaslighting people and saying they're doing this and that, looking into things, which they actually aren't. Um, it's just something to make themselves look good in a way to, for them to collect extra money.
0: Hmm. Hermes, what do you think uh, is driving the issue then of, of unsheltered, unhoused Native people there in Rapid City. I mean, there's there's so many dynamics that work here and, and you hear people all the time debate. Well, it's an issue of poverty. It's there's addiction issues. Uh, maybe it's a domestic violence issue. I mean, what do you see as, as the root cause here and how well is the city addressing that root cause?
7: Um, The a large part of it has to do with the housing situation here. Um, there's almost no housing here. And the ones that do get in, uh, they get evicted right away. Um, there's there's a young couple that just got an apartment the other last month, they paid their first month's rent and they went to pay for, um, they're waiting for pay, which was just a couple of days after rent was due and they already got an eviction notice without even giving them the opportunity uh, for their money to come in. So mm. a lot of that is, has to do with housing. So,
0: Okay. A lack of, of housing, affordable housing perhaps there in the Rapid City area. Sonny, tell us more about these unsheltered residents, the native unsheltered residents there in Rapid. Are, are they coming in from other communities outside of Rapid City or are they, they more like local urban Native people who've been there for a long time?
4: I think it's a mix of both. Um, we have various different reservations around this area. There's a lot of transient um, people that come to visit, especially during the summertime. Um, a lot of traveling that happens, and so, um, and then not to mention, you know, Rapid City is is um, is the center of like tourism. So there's a lot of tourism that happens here. That we have the Ellsworth Air Force Base as well, who are bringing in, you know, um, I think. 2,000 families in the next uh, it's already starting to happen a lot of the development over in that area. But, you know, as Herman said, you know, Rapid City is, is the, the housing shortage is a crisis here. And like, like most places, you know, this, this type of planning should have um, been happening, you know, 20 plus years ago, but now we're experiencing it. You know, we're, we're lacking uh, over 5,000 units of housing here in Rapid City and we're continuing to grow. So yes, our unsheltered relatives, um, these are their homelands. These are where we are from. This is um this is our home. And you know, they we talked about, you know, one of the biggest things like that has come up recently is talking about how homelessness is a choice. They just had like this community gathering um in this church the other day with all these city services and churches and congregations. It's supposed to be like a Interface kind of meeting, which um, uh, most of the people that were on the ground were not invited to it. So there was a bunch of people kind of like on the outside talking about homelessness and our relatives and whatnot. And they talked about how homelessness is a choice. And, you know, here at my work, you know, we sit around and we talk about these things and and then we get out and do the work, right? So we, we're not just about talking about it, but one of the biggest things is like, it's not much of a choice if you don't have your basic needs met. You know, uh, an inability to escape homelessness is not a personal failure. It's actually a success of those systems that were set up to to oppress into um, criminal. We're
0: going to take our, our first break here of the show. And we are talking about unsheltered indigenous residents in cities across the country. Stay with us. We'll be right back. inspirations from a Plains tribal childhood find a contemporary interpretation in John Hitchcock's prints. He's one of the artists who will give us a lesson in contemporary printmaking from a Native viewpoint. That's on the next Native America Calling.
5: Support by Archaeology Southwest. Did you know almost all major archaeological sites in the Southwest have been looted or vandalized? Looting and vandalism impact indigenous people, past, present, and future. Every day, countless Native American cultural items are lost or damaged forever through looting and vandalism. Federal and tribal laws protect archaeological resources. More information about ending archaeological resource crime and how to submit a tip at savehistory.org and on social media at Save History.
0: tuned to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're getting a glimpse of challenges facing unsheltered Native residents in several cities. The end of federal COVID rent relief money propelled the nation's overall number of homeless people to the highest it's ever been. And a number of facilities that help Native residents specifically are struggling. Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848 if you'd like to add to today's conversation any insights you can offer with regard to unsheltered Native Relatives. Our number again, 1-800-99-NATIVE. And our first guest today, Sonny Redbear and Hermes Bedaloon, are with Indian Collective, and they're talking with us about the challenges they face with uh, unsheltered Indigenous relatives there in Rapid City, South Dakota. And Sonny, before break, uh, we heard Hermes talk about just the lack of housing, affordable housing there in Rapid City. And you mentioned uh, going to some sort of a listening session, and the The perspective was like, hey, homelessness is a choice and and people just need to get out there and secure housing on their own kind of thing. And let's talk a little bit more, though, about these folks right now, these folks that uh, you were trying to help with this emergency shelter. Here it is. It's only the middle of January. We've got a lot of cold left uh, in this winter season. So what's going to happen to these folks right now that don't uh, doesn't sound like they have a place to go?
4: Right. Um, so right now we we are still having our shelter up at, at Woyaton, um, and we don't call it a shelter. We're just taking care of our relatives, um, but it's a it's a warming station, and um, we're we're going to continue to do the work. You know, um, I think one of the biggest things for us is like the city, the police department, the fire department, and um, who else was there? There's a a number. There's four or five individuals from the city that came up to the to, the, to Woyaton. To, to tell us how we could or could not run the shelter or, you know, housing our relatives, saying that it would cause harm, it'd be dangerous and whatnot. Um, I think I think the biggest thing is like, how, do, how did you not-
0: I'm sorry, Sunny, could you go back? I mean, what are they telling you you can't do or you're doing wrong? I'm just curious.
4: So um, we had uh, set up some, some tents. They're like these Arctic tents that had a warming system built into it. They're like literally designed to like house people in arctic situations like in weather right um and they're, they're they came up there on on private property delivered like a warning saying that that we cannot utilize the tent because they gave us like this violation of like a building permit which isn't even like it's not a building it's a tent so and also it's private property how can you tell me or anyone else like oh you can't put a tent on your private property like so there's just like a lot of different things going on what we're seeing is that like there's, um, it's just kind of a form of control to keep like people in like dire situations. And honestly, like we really believe like uh, homelessness is like one of the strongest ways to violently enforce capitalism. And so like I just feel like you know um, the city's worried about you know some kind of warming tents where there's a liability, but actually offering no solutions. And one of the the Rapid City police, um, he used to be on the police department. Now he works for the city. He literally said like. There is room in the jail if, if people are needing um, ho- emergency shelter or housing. Mm. And we we're just like, that is the solution you're coming up with, is that you're going to put them in jail? Like, you already do that on, you know, <laughs> on a daily basis. Right. But that is the solution that you offered. And so, you know, we're going to continue to show up for our relatives and treat them like humans and and help them in whatever ways that we can. We're just really encouraging, like our community, to like see outside of themselves and like not, you know, feed into, not feed into um, the the narrative of that these people are below us. That the government is literally trying to, um, trying trying to build that narrative of like, uh, that these people are less right, mm-hmm. and that um, and and really um, trying to direct people to the city services. Where a lot of the harm takes place, a lot of the, you know, punitive and dehumanizing measures take place um, in those in those uh, services. Like we many times we've we sat outside of these services and we've seen police bring these relatives into their services and handcuff. Okay. Like, okay. why?
0: Sonny, I want to go back to Hermes and then we're going to move on to another one of our guests. But Hermes earlier, Sonny shared that there are. Approximately 490 unhoused people in Rapid City, of whom 376 are Native. So there's a a fair number of non-Native unsheltered people there in Rapid, too. Do you feel that those people, those non-Native unsheltered people, are subject to the same sorts of um, disparities and the same sort of um, treatment that we're hearing about these Native people are facing there in Rapid City?
7: Um. Some some get help, um, the ones that do believe in the Christianity and that they, they're they more accepted into, uh, like, the mission. But for the most part, they're all treated equal. They're all looked down on okay. the same. Um, we don't like to categorize as Native, non-Native. It doesn't matter what color you are. Um, we, we're human, and we're taught with our our values to take care of each other and to, to be, be respectful of one another. And so that's all that's all we're trying to do is, as a community with um, the warming station, to keep people safe, mm-hmm. give them a safer environment to, to sleep in and. To, to get some rest because they they have many sleepless nights, you know, just trying to survive.
0: Well, Hermes and Sonny, really appreciate you both coming on the show and uh, also applaud all of your efforts there in Rapid City to assist unsheltered residents. And I'm going to bring another guest, a new guest, into our conversation. She is in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Her name is Nicole Mason, and she is an organizer for... Nenu Kasi Healing Camp. She is Red Lake Ojibwe. Hello, Nicole, and thanks for joining our show. Hello. Hi. Well, let's talk a little bit about the situation there in the Twin Cities. There are over 100 people that live in yurts in uh, this camp that uh, we're talking about. And uh, recently, the camp had to move to a smaller site a few blocks away after the city shut down the previous camp. I guess a couple of weeks ago. So, describe where this camp is at right now and how the people in the camp are faring.
8: Uh, We're located currently on 26th Street and 14th Avenue, the neighborhood of South Minneapolis. And um, we have currently um, approximately 110 residents that live here on site. We have uh, 21 yurts and one big army tent that we um, have for the community to activities
0: room. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, yeah. All right, well, Nicole, as I understand it, you personally moved to the camp a, a couple of months ago. Why was that?
8: Well, um Sometimes the residents were saying that it would get rough when I wasn't on site. Um, And some people weren't following the rules. Some people that weren't residents were coming in. So I decided to start staying um, overnights and see how that went. And it just turned into staying on site. Um, I heard a lot of um, people saying, you know, how can somebody that's housed speak for the unhoused? And that living out here wasn't um, a safe um, living situation, living in the yurts. So I figured it's part of saying, you know, what's um, good enough for my people is good enough or, you know, is good enough for me. So if it's safe enough, if it's warm enough, um, having in in these spaces, Mm -hmm. if I'm staying here, you know. I'm safe, I'm here, um, and also just to keep the the environment safe.
0: Okay, yeah, so you're definitely, you know, you're, you're putting it all on the line there, and you moved in. What do you see there in the camp, Nicole, and, and what do you see as, as the biggest issue with a lot of these folks, your relatives that are there in the camp with you?
8: Um, well, in the past five months that I've been calling the relatives, I started with a, um, it was me and one of my friends, Kristen, it was an eviction on August 17th, just uh-huh. spoke. And I said, I, I was watching a lot of evictions happening, like on social media. I'm a woman in recovery and so encampments for our people are, are hard to come to. Um, and so it was hard. I came a few times for evictions and just seeing how I can help out, but I, it gave me a lot of anxiety. So I took a step back and I went to ceremony and I worked on myself a lot before I could actually come in here to help the people. But I saw the patterns. I saw the patterns of evictions happening weekly by weekly by the city of Minneapolis. And I would also see a lot of people looking for the relatives, so relatives coming up missing, and so I noticed every eviction our people come up missing, every eviction, we lose people in overdose, um, people are out there, you see the people and like the desperation in their eyes of where do we go, asking where are we supposed to go, where's everyone going, um, it was really sad, and it like broke my heart, because like not that long ago was I out here, you know, and so when I started following them, I was like, had this big idea of how I thought maybe things should go to help people get into recovery. That's like our biggest issue is drug addiction, mental okay. health, um, addiction.
0: It, and Nicole, yeah. is is addiction what's prompting so many of these evictions you're describing? I, mean, I don't what's, think the justific- so. what's the justification for people being evicted? What are they telling those folks?
8: that it's, it's in our, our current city policy from what I understand. Um, I'm really new to, like, politics and anything like this. Um, I just know what's in my heart. I know being here, um, I have that experience I've used with a lot of the people that were here before. So, like, all of this organizing, I've never done anything like this. This is my first mm-hmm. time, um, so I'm learning, and um, yeah, I, I think that the, it's just policy, from what I understand. Okay. I have, we had a meeting with the mayor, and he said that um, having the structures out, you know, camp, tents and things like that are not allowed. Encampments are not allowed in the city right now.
4: And okay, so, so
0: the they camp has been be Okay. And, and now that the camp is in this new location, I understand it's a smaller site. I mean, what's the possibility of in another few weeks them coming along and saying, well, you have to, we're going to evacuate this camp or we're going to move you somewhere else. I mean, is that a, a, a very real possibility? Most definitely.
8: We haven't so, been promised anything. So I'm also living with not knowing what the future holds for myself along with okay. the relatives. Everything they go through, I'm going through.
0: Nicole, what would you like to see this city do? What type of action, what types of solutions can you envision for for making this problem, alleviating some of this uh, unsheltered uh, crises issues that we're talking about today there in Minneapolis?
8: Well, my vision for the people is to have a culturally specific and the relatives here at the camp came up with the wording of a healing center but it is a treatment center so a detox center where we can care for them during their withdrawals and be there for them because they they've expressed how uh, detox centers are very lonely and um, they're not they're very alone they're just put in a room to go through it without having any traditional medicines, without having any support. They're just left alone. And so um, coming up with a good plan for detoxing, um, meeting people where they're at and coming up with individualized plans uh, for them. And so it would be a culturally based treatment center with lodging here in the city. There's a Walbriety, um, reading that is in the Walbrighty book that says if you have a um, forest of sick trees and you take one of the trees out and you re- you take it away you nourish it you, you, you hydrate it and you nurse it back to health then you take that tree and you put it back in the sick forest not too long before that tree becomes sick again so I thought, why not heal the forest where they became sick and heal the whole forest? And so I, as I followed the relatives, I, I hear them, I hear what would work, I hear what their struggles have been to even go into recovery and brought all those ideas to my tribe to come up with a um, plan to present so that we can make this happen and ask for land back from the city so we can start developing the treatment center.
0: All right. A treatment center, land back. Nicole, really appreciate (laughs) you coming on the show as well and uh, explaining some of the challenges that you face there in the Twin Cities. I want to head west now to Seattle, Washington, where we have Derek Belgard. He is the executive director. With the chief Seattle club and Derek, thank you again for joining our show and let's talk a little bit about eagle village now you came on our show a few years ago. And you shared this promising new village specifically for unsheltered native residents in Seattle, however, now those days for the shelter are numbered what's the update there.
6: Yeah, well, I got some good updates for it, actually. Yeah, uh, Eagle Village opened up 2019. We were um, on a um, vacant metro lot, which is the King County or the county um, metro system. It's basically a lot they weren't using. Um, and 20, we had 24 shelter beds originally, increased by five with little pallet homes. So we have 29 shelter beds there. Um, we were told about a year ago that, about a year ago now that, um, Metro needed their site back for some staging area or something for some construction, possibly. I I don't know. I've heard different things, reasons why. So um, we started looking for another site and then we ran into a roadblock of trying to uh, find the funding. It wasn't going to pay for itself. Um, It was going to need new tiny homes um, and all that was basically going to cost around a million bucks. So we've been fighting ever since, trying to figure out um, how we're going to fund it because we cannot afford to lose 29 shelter beds, not even just for the Native American community, but also just the broad homelessness response system can't afford to lose any shelter beds right now. Still in the thick of things. Um, And it wasn't uh, looking promising. There was, uh, you know, we were turning over every stone we could find um, and it wasn't looking promising. So, uh, but I'm glad to say the King County, finally they they reached out and they have, They've identified some funding, so they're going to actually. uh, All right. Derek, we're going to have to take a short break,
0: but when we come back, uh, we'll let you finish your update. We're also going to hear from Sam Johns in Anchorage, Alaska.
5: This program is supported by AmeriCorps Vista. You can kickstart your career by joining thousands of AmeriCorps members in the VISTA program serving to alleviate poverty. AmeriCorps members help organizations make change right in their own community. A service opportunity that fits your ambition can be found at AmeriCorps.gov VISTA today. That's A-M-E-R-I-C-O-R-P-S dot G-O-V slash V-I-S-T-A.
9: Ya he, ya he, ya ya he, ya he, ya Ya hea 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 ya 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 yeah, he hay, ya he ah he. Ya he hay, ya he hay, ya
0: Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Plenty of time still to contribute to our discussion today on efforts to help unsheltered native residents. Do you have an unsheltered population in your community or nearby? If so, give us a call. Tell us what you think is, uh, is the driving cause there and what it would take to alleviate that issue that uh, faces your community. Maybe it's a lack of affordable housing. Maybe there are addiction issues. Uh, Maybe there are other issues at play. Give us a call. Let us know your thoughts on the unsheltered native resident crisis that we are experiencing uh, in many, many communities across the country. And let's go back now to Derek Belgard, who is with the Chief Seattle Club in Washington State. And Derek, you were giving us an update on Eagle Village, and it sounds like uh, some funding has been secured.
6: Yes. Yeah, it has. Um, Unfortunately, it's a little bit... um late so there will be a little bit of disruption of services um we did get an extension on the site to go through march but it takes a you know about six months or so to get a tiny house village up up and running um with uh, um, construction and all, all that, those little things even though they're a very minor projects they still take time so it we'll probably won't be able to open up till june so there'll be a, about a three-month gap um but we've got to figure out where nobody's going to go back to homelessness because of it but we will have some staffing displacement but um yeah, um, we're, we're happy that, that it's there because we really need it. We just recently re- um, structured our five-year strategic plan for the TCL Club, and that's to get our um, single chronic adult homelessness down to functional zero here in our native community, Seattle. And um, one of the things it's going to take is we, our goal is to have 100 shelter beds within the next year. We get, right now we're at 51, so we can't afford to be losing any if we plan on trying to solve this homelessness problem.
0: And Derek, please remind us of the need there in Seattle. What is the percentage of Native people who make up the homeless population? Yeah. Where are they from? Um,
6: yeah, so, uh, you know, I think these, these numbers are probably kind of throughout Indian country, urban Indian country. Yeah, you know, We're, we're uh, 2% of the general population, make up 15% of overall homeless rate, um, up to 30% of, of the chronic homeless rate. Um, our, the bulk of our membership, our relatives come from all over the country. Uh, In Canada and Alaska, Um, and you know, we we serve probably well over half of the federally recognized tribes throughout the country. Um, You know, the number one demographic we do serve is Southeast Alaska. Um, Number two is actually Blackfeet from Browning, Montana. Um, The only tribe in Washington that makes our top ten list is Yakima, Um, and so we we actually don't serve very many of our actually what would be considered really local around the Seattle area. Uh, what do you, you know, think they are tribes here? I think they, you know, I think they're doing well. I think they they have um, services downright for the for their people and their communities and their relatives. So I think they, you know, that they they address their own needs maybe, you know, very well. Um, and you know, um, so I think, you know, our, our urban homelessness here I think has sprawled from, you know, all the way from the the relocation programs of the 50s that said, you know, 60s set up families to fail out here. And um you know, and because of that, you know, then there's all there's new migrant, you know, homelessness that comes from other fa- other families that to visit and things like that. But yeah, it's uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to say that there isn't, but maybe on their own reservations, they're probably dealing with um, homeless issues within their own uh, um, areas. But um, in the Seattle area, no, it's mainly it's very rare when we see one of the very local
0: tribes. Well, Dirk, let's talk yeah, 30, about yeah. um. The income disparity there in seattle it's uh it's got one of the highest income disparities in the united States extremely high yeah. cost of living um, yeah. so what innovations are are, are coming out of um, of your work that are going to be able to address uh this problem long term because i don't think that income disparity is going to go away anytime soon yeah
6: yeah that i i yeah that's uh economics there i um you know, outside of, you know, um, subsidies and things like that, we help people in need of uh, um, of some sort of rental assistance, um, but, you know, everybody's trying to do that. I don't know how sustainable that is. We have to figure out how to um, make livable wages, especially for people working in the region, um, and, there, you know, there's uh, many things we could do as a, as a system beyond just um, raising uh, the, the wage also, you know, free child care. We need to start thinking about people who come to town and work. People shouldn't have a choice between should I get a job or if I do, I won't be able to afford childcare, Um, those type of things, commuter benefits. um, But, yeah, you know, a lot of great organizations in the area are starting to actually increase significantly wages, but it's definitely not at the pace of uh, inflation and, 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 you know, and, and pricing people out of the region.
0: Mm-hmm. And our Native people, uh, unsheltered Native people there in Seattle, are they facing some of the same uh, treatment like what we heard about in, in Rapid City, South Dakota, in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota? Uh,
6: absolutely. Um, a lot of similarities. Um, keep in mind, uh, Chief South Club, our niche really is a single chronic adult homelessness. We're not, we really don't, you know, there's other organizations that can do more family work and, and those types of things. Um, but yeah, we, we have that. Our, one of the biggest uh, issues is that, you know, we do find that this area and region, I'm probably the same there in Rapid City, that there's a big push for harm reduction, low barrier. I mean, harm reduction is great, but like low barrier models of, 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 of anything goes and, and, you know, and it's more encouraged. And, and there's a lot of people that, that do try to stay sober and want to stay sober. Um, there's this revolving door of people going in treatment, out treatment because they can't stay sober because their environment and their social groups, I mean, it's just everywhere. Uh, we know there's a big need for sober places. You know, I um, I always say that the toolbox needs uh, uh, all kinds of tools in it, not just one tool fits all. We need to have um, shelters that, you know, and, and, and places for people to go, safe spaces for people to go that are both low barrier and also for people committed to sobriety, so they can get back on their feet, we have to figure out how to separate those type of programs, and not just create this one model fits all, and because it's not really working.
0: And, and Derek, right now, uh, for somebody a native person in the Seattle area who um, doesn't uh, doesn't have shelter, is, is there a place for them to go? Is is there are there enough facilities for every unsheltered native person in the Seattle area? no not
6: at all um there's probably you know we reestimate at least a thousand at any given time in the region that are homeless chronically homeless in our single adult population and um, it's going to take us five years to get the units that we need that's for permanent housing permanent supportive housing um and we're going to need we need a lot more shelter beds like i said um but we could do it in five years um yeah the, the, the issue is like what you've been hearing from other the other great um guests on the show is uh culture appropriate, the, the need for culture appropriate services, our, our people, our relatives don't feel safe in non-native spaces, too many lies from the government, too many lies of bad American policy, too many lies, you know, the genocide on, um, the boarding schools, everything that every hand that was been out said that we're going to help us has burned us more. Um, so, you know, when people are out on the, you know, on the streets, they, they feel safer in their own cliques and communities rather than coming indoors. Until a Native organization steps up and puts up a Native shelter, a Native space, a place where actually people are welcomed, where they have a sense of belonging, where they have a sense of being loved, and, and have family there. And, um, you know, our community is very traumatized, so we need a lot of culture-appropriate services. Um, and it, it's, it's, there's not enough resources out there, not enough uh, opportunities for us to do that.
0: Derek, really appreciate you joining us as well and uh, sharing uh, some of the situation there in Seattle, Washington. And good luck. Good luck on your work going forward, too. And with that, let's go ahead and move on to Samuel Johns. Again, he's in Anchorage, Alaska. He's the founder of Forget Me Not. And Sam, appreciate you joining us. Appreciate your patience as well. And... Anchorage, as I understand it, ha- has a unique problem. So as briefly as you can, tell us about the developments that led to the closure of the Sullivan Arena there in Anchorage as a shelter. Uh, uh
10: Pretty much just, you know, capitalism that, you know, is closing the the Sullivan Arena. Um, people want hockey. Um I, I also, I, I, uh, you know, I don't really think Sullivan arena was the best place for our unsheltered relatives, but, you know, but, but at the same time, they do need somewhere to be, to stay warm. You know, we have a huge, uh, number of people that are and it's growing, uh, people that are, that are homeless and yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty sad. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, Forget Me Not. You founded this organization in 2015, and you're in the process of getting nonprofit status, and it's all about assisting homeless people so they can return to their villages. Um, how's that effort coming along, and, and what are your long-term goals in terms of how to make that a reality, getting people home to their villages?
10: Um, well, I think with this uh, um, 501c3 uh that is, I believe like, I, I just, um, you know, I want to be more proactive, you know? And, uh, one of the things that I've been doing with forget me not is being reactive, which is, uh, finding someone that's in need and trying to fulfill that need. So someone doesn't want to be in Anchorage anymore and they have the ability to go home. We'll, we'll connect the dots. And, you know, we have a lot of people in the group and, um, um, I just make the request, and somebody in the group has the Alaska airline miles or the uh, points to get them their their ticket. <clears throat> but uh, with this um, nonprofit, one of the things that I, I want to do is um, focus more on, like, one of the things that I, I see is uh, people coming out of jail, um, it would be good for me to work with them to get them a ticket before they get out um that way they can avoid the the that time of being in the city and struggling you know because when they get when they go ho- get out and they don't have a way home mm-hmm. you know if you talk to some of the people that are homeless here you'll learn that some of them just got caught up in the streets when they got out and they just didn't have a way home
0: okay And, of course, in Anchorage, it's not as simple as just a a bus ticket or or a crab ride or anything like that, like you describe. I mean, people live far out, uh, only accessible by an airplane. So in so many, so many villages throughout uh, the state of Alaska, are you getting folks there, unsheltered Native people in Alaska, from all of the villages throughout Alaska? or Are they more coming from certain areas?
10: Yeah, yeah, it's it's, a it's different, you know, um, there's, there's, there's people from all over Alaska that are here in Anchorage, and, uh, you know, um, it's, it's a very complex issue, you know, cause there's so many elements that contribute to this. Like, you know, sometimes people, like I said, get out of jail and, uh, not understanding the, the lingo when it comes to talking to a judge, you know, and them saying that they're guilty and not doing time served and then getting out early and having to stay in the anchor's vicinity because of probation and then while they're here, they ended up just getting more and more in trouble, and it leads to them just not not having that morale to go home and uh you know other others you know there's just people that came here for opportunity, but weren't prepared, you know, there's, uh, people, you know, there's just like so many things here. Like if, if someone is, uh, like if they have, uh, um, low tolerance to like, you know, drugs and stuff like that, they can get caught up in that. And, you know, um, you know, going to, um, working in shelters, uh, one of the things that I've noticed, um, is uh it's hard to help a group of people when you blanket them you throw like you know the word homeless it's like when you when you when you call this like you have a whole shelter of people and you blanket them and you call them all homeless this is a homeless shelter but when you really like go in there and you see that you you start identifying different groups like for me when i work at shelters i've learned that there are like about three different groups that i've noticed like there's one that's caught up with the judicial system that just can't get back on their feet. And there's another group where they're um, just really bad addicts, you know, that just need treatment. They need, Mm -hmm. they need help with treatment. They need to help getting kicked off those drugs. And then the third group is the, there's the people that are mentally ill, you know, and those are the ones that I, I worry about too, because they, they, they need the help with like, like an API Institute, you know, like they, they, I actually need the help with, like, someone helping them take their meds. I've watched uh, someone at a shelter at Sullivan Arena. I've watched someone um, talk to themselves in the corner, and I was, like, terrified. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is, like, not all here. But then one of the people that worked there um, helped him with his meds. He was, like, walked with him, you know, day uh-huh. by day. He was like, here, here's your meds, here's your meds. And he made sure that he took them on time. And then, like, a week and a half later, I was able to have a conversation with him. I was like, dang, you just need help. Like, you just, you know, so there's different groups of people in these um, facilities that just, you know. And once we start identifying these different groups, we will able to start putting, you know, when you put a mic, uh, when you, like, just start identifying them and seeing them more, you'll you'll be able to see, like, who actually needs help. And, you know, you'll be able okay. to see where the funding
0: Sam, one, one more question before we have to wrap up the show. You, you mentioned in your experience there seem to be three groups of people that are in this unsheltered situation. Folks that are uh, embroiled in some sort of issue with the judicial system, folks who have addiction issues, and then also folks who are mentally ill. Of those three groups, where do you think your efforts are best concentrated? Where do you think you can most make the most impact in dealing with those three areas of the unsheltered population in Anchorage? The judicial system.
10: I truly believe that, uh, you know, I understand if somebody created a felony, uh, if they, you know, I understand if somebody created like physical harm towards someone and they there's a process they need to go through to, to, you know, be accepted back into their community. But if it isn't such a big crime, I truly believe that tribes need to, I, I truly believe that the federal government needs to allow tribes to, uh, be able to, uh, Create the types of punishments that we see fit, and not send them to Anchorage jail. Uh, you know, I truly believe there would be a lot more uh, longer term uh, uh, things to happen if they they were to just stay home and to work with the community.
0: Um, yeah. Well, Sam, really appreciate you joining us. All of our guests who made our show today: Sunny Redbear, Hermus Betaloon. Nicole Mason, Derek Bellegarde, and of course, Samuel Johns. We'll be back again tomorrow with a conversation with native printmaking masters. They create artwork with lithographs, linoleum, and even stone blocks. Hope you'll join us. I'm Sean Spruce.
5: Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribalrelations. Skugtosh, support by Ramona Farms. For over 40 years, Ramona's American Indian Foods has revived tepary beans, pinole, traditional wheat flours, and more. Delivery for your holiday gatherings, available on orders placed at store.ramonafarms.com.
8: OCO, Happy New Year. Now is a great time to start new habits that will keep you healthy. Eating right, getting plenty of exercise, and enough sleep are key to a healthy lifestyle. Talk with your health care provider about changes you can make to let the new year be one of your best years. For more information, contact your local Indian health care provider or visit healthcare.gov. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services.